Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to the Cubby's Crib Podcast. Here are your hosts, Jake Meisner and Taylor Mathis. Good evening, everybody. Jake Meisner, Taylor Mathis, and Alex Pat with you for another episode of the Cubby's Crib Podcast. I hope everyone is having a great Hall of Fame election Wednesday here. Um, We will... uh, have mostly Hall of Fame for you tonight. It's a little bit short in a 45-minute episode because free agents still aren't signing, and we are one week away from being done with January. Uh, so I will uh, go ahead and actually kick it right to Alex. Um, obviously, the Hall of Fame voting, the results were announced uh, earlier this evening. A four-man class, Chipper Jones, Vladimir Guerrero, Jim Tomey, and Trevor Hoffman will all be enshrined in Cooperstown this July. Um, I guess I'll just start with, you know, just some general thoughts um, on those four in particular. Obviously, they're more of our generation now as time goes on. You know, guys, we, um, you know, guys, we grew up watching you know, it's not guys we heard about from our parents. Uh, you know, what were your thoughts on these four getting uh, getting in today? I was really happy when they made the announcement because these are all players I really, really like. Huge fan of Chipper, huge fan of Ladd, really big fan of Trevor Hoffman, and absolutely loved watching Jim Tomei. Jim Tomei was a class act on the way, and he was a heck of a ball player. And a lot of people look at Jim Tomei saying, Oh, you know, he was a great home run hitter, but what else did he do? Um, his career on base percentage is 402 over 22 years. So that goes to show just how good of a hitter he really was. 276 average, 554 slugging, and OPS of 956. The guy was just an incredible baseball player. Really happy to see him in. I think these are all guys that just people like in general. So this is a really exciting year for the Hall of Fame, I think. Yeah, I 100% agree on that. Um, Actually, part of my day job today was uh, basically just doing research on all the potential guys who could get in today. Uh, And I spent a lot of time with Tommy and came to the conclusion that growing up, I criminally underrated and underappreciated what he did. Uh, Like you said, you know, one of my favorite stats from him was like you said, 22 year career, a 402 on base percentage. And um, I saw a tweet that actually compared that Ricky Henderson actually over his career, put up a 401. So not only is Jim Tomey, you know, eighth all time, he's in the 600 Homer club, but he also has a better on base percentage than one of the best leadoff hitters to ever play the game. That just blew my mind. Um, Chipper, we all knew it was coming. One of the best switch hitters to ever play the game. You know, he won the World Series with the Braves as part of that 90s dynasty. Uh, this has kind of been a run of Braves um, Hall of Fame inductees. You know, Maddox, Smoltz, you know, Bobby Cox, Chipper Jones, John Shearholtz. Uh, so that's been cool because, uh, again, I think I was personally too young to appreciate just the dominance uh, that the Braves put up 
in the 90s. But, Alex, I mean, I, I can't even fathom if in the next, you know, 10 years the Cubs ran off division titles every year. I can't even fathom that type of world. Yeah, I know, really. Here's an interesting stat for you guys really quick. Of these four baseball players, there has been one World Series championship won. Exactly. I actually heard Bob Costas, I think it was, uh, talk about that on MLB Network earlier. And, you know, that, I think, at least in my mind, and you guys can weigh in on this, that makes them getting into Cooperstown even more special. They don't have, you know, apart from Chipper, you know, Tomei, Hoffman, Guerrero, none of them have a World Series appearance or a World Series title to compare it to. You know, this was their last shot at, at, you know, having a truly momentous, you know, occasion in their career. And I think it, at least on my end, it it would definitely make it mean more, you know, after not winning a World Series to get enshrined in Cooperstown, you know, join the 1% of players who have ever played the game to, to make it into the Hall of Fame. That's such a such a great accomplishment. It really speaks to how great these guys were. Um, I was, you know, obviously Chipper, Vlad, and Tomei, you know, we were pretty confident they were all going to get in this year. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about Trevor Hoffman because it seemed like he was kind of on the fence, um, you know, watching uh, Ryan Thibodeau's, you know, pre-announcement uh, tracker, he was, you know, between 70, 75, up to 77. He came in at 79.9% in his third year on the ballot. Obviously, you need the 75% mark. Um, Alex, any thoughts on, on Hoffman getting in here in year three? Well, I think he deserves it. We saw how close he was last year, and I figured that after last year, since he was so close, I'm like, he'll get in. So it really didn't surprise me. And you look at his career numbers, 287 ERA, 308-5, 1.058 whip in over 1,000 innings. I thought he was going to get in eventually, and I think it's well-deserved. Yeah, and I think something that, you know, you mentioned all those numbers, and obviously second all-time in saves, only he and Mariano Rivera, a member of next year's potential class, um, you know, those are the only guys to ever save 600 plus ball games. You know, it takes a lot to do that. Uh, especially yeah. with, especially with Hoffman drafted as a shortstop, he couldn't hit his weight. So they transition him at first after the transition, he has a nice heater, you know, so they say, okay, great. He's got a lively arm. We'll make it work on the mound. Then after some injuries, you know, he's throwing a fastball in the eighties, all of a sudden develops this, this changeup that becomes one of the most effective pitches ever deployed by a reliever. You know, it's right up there with, with Rivera's cutter and goes on to save over 600 games. And now he's in the hall of fame. It's just, it's such a great story. You know, it really just speaks to how hard he worked and what he overcame to get here. Um, So Hoffman in along with Tommy Guerrero and Jones just missing the mark. Uh, Edgar Martinez. This is his ninth year on the ballot. So next year is his last shot for the BBWAA to vote him in before it goes over to the veterans committee. Uh, Alex, you know, what are your thoughts? This seems to be controversial. And in my opinion, I'm not sure why. Yeah. There's been a lot of talk. It seems like every year other than the, uh, the whole steroids uh, player thing, like this is one of the most talked about, controversies of 
like the Hall of Fame voting. So trying to pull up his numbers here. I, I think a lot a lot of uh a lot of controversy stemming from the fact that he was a DH and didn't really play the field, but looking at his career, three twelve, four eighteen, nine thirty three, three hundred home runs. I I mean to me, that's a pretty worthy player right there. Seven time all star, two time batting champ, five time silver slugger. And to me, like you look at his on base percentages over the years, he had a year where his on base was four seventy nine and just a string of years where it was above four twenty. That to me is very, very deserving. I know he doesn't have four hundred plus home runs, but three hundred and nine with that slash line, I think that's pretty deserving. Yeah, and kind of along the same line. So he ended his career with a 418 on on-base percentage, which ranks 21st all-time. And think of the, you know, nearly 20,000 people have played this game, and he ranks 21st. And if you look at his OPS, 933, that's 33rd best all-time. You know, this, this guy was just a, a professional hitter. He knew how to grind at bats, and at the same time, if you thought you were going to get ahead on him with a, you know, a meatball down the middle, he'd take you deep. Um, I don't agree in any shape or form that he should be, you know, punished or penalized, whatever you want to say, for being a designated hitter. He didn't create that position in baseball. It's not his, you know, that's like saying, you know, oh, because you're a painter, you can't be the best at being a painter. That's insane. He was handed a job. He did it better than anybody else. And to me, that's the only argument I need. He was the best designated hitter to ever play the game. I know David Ortiz is more Hollywood. It's a better story. But Edgar, in my mind, was a better player. He was a more consistent player. And there is no way he should end up in the hands of the Veterans Committee. Next year, the Baseball Writers Association has to get this right. They have to get him in. Uh, Taylor, I know... I know it's been uh, a lot of Alex and I here early on. Uh, any thoughts so far on, uh, you know, the four who got in and anyone who didn't get in? Yeah, I mean, I pretty much uh, agree with everything that you guys said so far. Obviously, I think the players that got in uh, well-deserving, I guess, looking at, I mean, kind of our next topic that we were going to talk about anyway, uh, bonds and uh, Clemens, you know, not getting in yet again. So what are your guys' thoughts, you know, on them in the whole uh, PED era? Yeah, so I think with, for me personally, and this this is obviously the most controversial thing every year, uh, you know, when the voting comes out, everyone wants to know how it's going to go. Uh, Clemens and Bonds both in their sixth year on the ballot, Uh, Clemens with 57.3% of the votes, Bonds 56.4%. So roughly 20% short of of making it. It's it's just in my mind, I don't know how you can just whitewash an entire era out of the Hall of Fame. You know, Bonds, you know, even pre-PEDs to me was probably a Hall of Famer. Um, I, I just it's such a difficult thing to, to rule on because you don't know when it started to what extent, uh, you know, 
I just feel like you would be cutting a huge chunk out of the history of baseball. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. This is a really, really, really hard situation to kind of have a clear thought about because of what we know and what we don't know. I think what we don't know is what makes it so hard because you've had guys be inducted that were questionable about steroids like uh, Pudge Rodriguez, but you don't really know for sure. And then, like you said, it was an era of baseball that really brought the game back to life. It wasn't just like one little era. It was a, it was an era that was probably the most exciting since like the days of Ruth and Gehrig. So it's a very difficult situation to kind of pinpoint down. I think one of the biggest challenges is leveling the moral ground field because if you're going to induct one steroid guy in, you pretty much have to do it for the rest. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's a slippery slope argument, but I think what's really interesting is when you look at the breakdown in voting, there is a clear divide. Clemens and Bonds, obviously, were two of the best at their respective crafts. Bonds, the all-time home run leader, you know, one of the best pure hitters to ever play the game, maybe the best. Clemens, again, one of the best starting pitchers ever to play in Major League Baseball, but I don't know where the divide is uh, as far as PEDs go because you've got those guys up in the mid to high 50s in terms of voting percentage this year but then you've got guys like Manny Ramirez and Sammy Sosa Sosa got just under 8% Manny Ramirez 22% I don't see where there is a 30 to 40 plus percent difference between what those players brought to the table I mean even Ramirez you know the guy hit 555 homers, you know, with an OPS just under a thousand over 19 years. I, I just, I don't understand where this divide is. I, I think it's one of those things that once the seal breaks and a big PED user, Clemens, Bonds, whomever get in, then I think everything changes. But I think until then, everyone is so scared to attach their name to these guys. I have to, I I agree with what you guys are saying, but I also disagree. In my mind, I I don't really think that any of them should get in. I just, but maybe maybe I just have a really strong stance on it. I I agree with what you're saying that you know that era of baseball really brought baseball back to life because that's definitely true, and it was obviously exciting. I mean, everybody wants to see guys you know hitting home runs out of the park and being like superhuman but I I also just I don't know in my mind it's cheating I just I mean in reality maybe if they didn't have those enhancements how good would they have really been that that's just my thoughts and then you you brought up Sammy Sosa too and he's pretty much like banned from the Cubs organization right now because of what he's done and and because he's unwilling to admit to it so I, I don't know I I just don't really see why any of them should really be inducted. Yeah, and I, I, th- I think that kind of just encapsulates how things are, you know, with the Baseball Writers Association. There is no clear consensus, clearly. Um, there, there's clearly a big divide. Um, and 45 minutes is far too short a time to try and accurately and, and you know, with detail lay that whole whole argument out. Um, 
a couple more things on the Hall of Fame. I've got some personal gripes with the writers. Not that that's anything new. But three guys that I think deserve to be in the Hall of Fame who aren't. Fred McGriff, former Cub. Jeff Kent, who was Barry Bonds' protection in that San Francisco lineup for years. And Scott Rowland. Obviously, Rowland, it's his first year on the ballot. He got 10%. Fine. But those three guys, to me, are definitely worthy of being in Cooperstown, especially McGriff. And going off what Taylor said, you know, even if you if you feel like people who use PEDs should not set foot in Cooperstown, I can't argue and tell you you're wrong, but I think it makes Fred McGriff even more impressive. Never was he tied to any type of steroids or PEDs. He kept to himself. He kept his head down, and he did his job. Ended his career with 493 home runs. So, yeah, no, it's not 700 home runs or 600 home runs like the guys that we're talking about who have been tied to steroids and performance-enhancing drugs. But he still hit 493 home runs. He's a 284 hitter. He's a, he was a great player. And if it not for the, you know, the strike in the early 90s, he'd have over 500 home runs. And yet he comes in voting this year at 23.2% in his ninth year on the ballot. So I think if you're not going to vote for PED users, I don't understand how on the same, you know, on the same ballot, you don't vote for Fred McGriff. I don't understand that. Yeah, his numbers are really good. Very underrated player. I don't know if he's just a name that's passed by because he wasn't, quote, as flashy as others. I don't know what the deal is, but you're absolutely right on that. He was a really, really, really amazing ball player considering how many other ball players there have been in that era. He really kind of stands out statistically as one of the better ones. Yeah, and like I said, he's not going to go and drop 50 or 60 homers on you a year, but, it, you know, looking at his baseball reference page, it seems like every single year he hits at least 20, plays for 20 years. You know, he's got some 36, 35, 37 homer seasons in there. So it was just consistency. He was going to do his thing every year. You were going to get 25, 30 homers, and, you know, somewhere around 100 RBIs. You know, he drove in 100 runs, you know, eight different times in his career. He was in the 90s several other times. You know, this guy just did his job. He put his head down, and he was quiet. He kept to himself. You know, we saw that when he was with the Cubs. You know, he's not he, – I think what's hurt him is you see all these teams and players with social media campaigns and media outreach efforts now trying to lobby votes, and McGriff will never do that. He, he just – that's not the type of guy he is. He's never going to play that game. And, you know, unfortunately, in today's social media-driven world, I think it's going to hurt him. I do think eventually the Veterans Committee will get him in. But in my mind, he definitely deserves to get in, you know, in his first 10 years. Um, Other than that, you know, Andrew Jones, 7% of the vote. Uh, Kerry Wood, Kid K himself, got two votes. So, you know, that's half a percent. He'll fall off the ballot. Um, another former Cub, Carlos Zambrano, did not garner a single vote, also will fall off the ballot. Um, some other names to fall below the 5% threshold, Jamie Moyer, Johan Santana, uh, Johnny Damon, Hideki Matsui, Chris Carpenter, LeVon Hernandez, and Carlos Lee. So that's 
kind of a wrap up on everything that uh, went down today with the Hall of Fame announcement. Again, they will be uh, inducted into Cooperstown this July alongside former Detroit Tigers teammates Jack Morris and Alan Trammell. Uh, but shifting gears, uh, Alex, it seems like maybe, and we've been saying this for three months, maybe we're nearing the end of the U Darvish sweepstakes. Yeah, the rumors are swirling. People are saying it's close. There's already reports of it being done with the Cubs, that Brewers source or whatever. So right now it's just kind of just waiting around and hoping for as soon as possible. Yeah, and I I just, you know, again, we talked about the seal breaking with the Hall of Fame. I think, and, you know, Alex and or Taylor, feel free to correct me if you think I'm wrong. I think what it is is obviously it's a game of chicken between, you know, clubs and the players. And I think that there are players feeling the heat who probably have offers that aren't what they expected, but they're they're ready to take them. But given they're all part of the players' union, I just can't shake this feeling that nobody wants to be that guy who maybe sets the market low and costs guys millions of dollars. Um, I, I can't come up with another explanation. Obviously, you know, the luxury tax is an effective salary cap anymore. You've got to be getting, you know, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado type guys to blow past that. But Greg Holland, Jake Arietta, Alex Cobb, you know, Lance Lynn, you Darvish, none of them, none of them have a home. And here we are a week from February, you know, there's spring training games in less than 30 days. Um, but Alex, it, it, you know, Taylor, what are your guys thoughts, you know, about this whole off season? It's just, it's been so surreal. Taylor, I'll let you start. I mean, it's been boring. <laughs> just to be honest, like, I, I don't know. There really isn't, like, I just feel like, you know, we're, we're all sitting here waiting for the same thing, like, week in and week out, hoping that some type of news comes up about something. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, like I said in weeks past on here, I'm, I'm hoping that the Cubs get garbage because he's my first pick for the Cubs. But we'll see. If they have a little bit uh, of an advantage over some of the uh, um, over some of the other clubs that are out there, but we'll we'll see how it goes. Yeah, boring is a great way to describe it because there's been all this anticipation. Nothing's really happened. I mean, at least the the trades with the Pirates have been interesting. So there's been a little bit there. But, yeah, overall, boring, great way to describe it. And it seems like I'm more confident in the Cubs getting Darvish the past few nights when there have been reports coming out. But then I look at things like during the day or in the afternoon, and they'll say, well, this team is still in, this team is still in. So, I don't know. There's this weird phenomenon with me where I feel like it's almost a done deal. He's going to come here the past few nights. But then when you read reports during the day, it's a little different. I don't know what you guys think of that. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Taylor. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I pretty much agree. I just feel like it's been very on and off. Like you, 
you think for sure there have been multiple times where I've thought for sure. I'm like, oh, it's a done deal. He's going to the Cubs. And then, you know, it comes out that somebody else has put a bid in for him. Uh, you know, the Twins or, or the Brewers or anyone pretty much at this point um, seems to be, you know, bidding for Darvish. Um, I feel like the Cubs do have a little bit of an advantage now that they've uh, – signed uh, Chris to a, a tiny, you know, deal being a catcher and they've worked together. Granted, it wasn't for that long and it was all the way back in 2014, but I feel like that gives the Cubs a slight bit of an advantage. Yeah. I, I think that it, I think that even if they miss on Darvish, it does nothing but help the team. We saw last year injuries can take a, take a toll on your catching core. Um, obviously Wilson Contreras, you know, he was sidelined. Alex Avila and Rene Rivera both were huge. Um, Avila still on the market as well. Another guy that, you know, we haven't talked a whole lot about. But I think, Alex, back to what you were saying, I think that, God, you know, you and I both feel confident that it's almost a done deal he'll come to Chicago because that's what we've come to expect. We have come to expect that if Theo and Jed set their sights on a guy and say, that's our guy, they're going to get it. And I, I think it's times like these that really show how far this organization and this front office have come because we don't expect to be in the running for free agents. We expect to get them. You, just being in the running is not enough anymore. Yeah, that's, that's a, a great, super good great point. look at it. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think, you know, you see Theo get his guy even via trade, you know, Jose Quintana, um, you know, the Jorge Soler Wade Davis trade, which looks hilariously lopsided at this point, um, you know, went out, got a role as Chapman. You know, it's not that he's, you know, fleecing people. He's paying top dollar and top prospects to get his guys. But when he decides that the team needs a certain guy, it seems like he's going to make sure he gets him. I think the beneficial the beneficial aspect of where the Cubs are at right now is there are so many quality starting pitchers left on the market. I mean, like I said, you've got, you know, Darvish, Lance Lynn, Alex Cobb, Arietta's still out there. So I think even if the Cubs miss, there are enough fallback options. But I think at this point it is not a matter of if, but when the Cubs land another impact starter. I hope you're right because I think the Cubs have like have to sign another starter, especially now when you're looking at the Astros rotation. I, I pretty much think that the Astros are like a dead set lock in to make it back to the World Series again next year and arguably have like the best baseball team possibly ever, in my opinion. So I think the Cubs pretty much have to get him. Yeah, I think it's a matter of getting somebody. Now, it's kind of funny. When the offseason started, Alex Cobb was, like, my guy. He was the guy I really wanted because I figured, not sure they're going to go after you, Darvish, because of the money and the years. And then I was pretty sure that Arietta was going to go get the big, ridiculous deal elsewhere. But with the links to you, Darvish, with the rumors of you, Darvish, to me, it feels like though Alex Cobb would be a strong addition, it wouldn't feel like like getting Alex Cobb or a Lance Lynn would just feel kind of, well, that's good, but we kind of had our expectations with you Darvish for a while. 
But, I mean, at the end of the day, it would probably settle in as a, a good fill, no matter who they got, as long as they add one of those guys. But I feel like right now the expectation is big, and the big is you, Darvish. So we'll see how that all unfolds. Yeah, and, and so a couple weeks ago I spent the weekend um, at the Sheridan downtown for Cubs convention, and the anticipation during player introductions was palpable. Everybody in that room was expecting Jake Arietta or you Darvish to walk out on that stage. And I can't even imagine what the reaction would have been if Pat Hughes concluded player introductions with, and a surprise introduction, here's Lance Lynn. Like, oh my God, it would have been awful. But, you know, like you said, the expectation is just, it's crazy high right now. And Taylor, for, for a, here's a take for on Houston that'll probably come back and bite me, but I'm going to make it anyway. I think as far as Garrett Cole goes, I think Tyler Chatwood is going to have as good a numbers as Garrett Cole does this year. Mm. We'll see. I, I think you put Garrett Cole in the American league and he's going to get shelled. I think Jim Hickey is going to work wonders with Chatwood. I think getting him out of Colorado and, you know, he's, he's stable. He's got, you know, a three-year – he's set. He doesn't have anything to worry about except taking the ball and handling his business outside of Coors Field at that every five days. I think he's going to be loose, relaxed. I think that spin rate and ground ball rate are going to play fantastic with this Cubs defense. And I think at the end of the year, if they're not pretty identical, they're going to be close. I think Tyler Chatwood's going to give the Cubs a lot. I think Garrett Cole is not going to be the difference maker that Houston wants him to be. Interesting prediction. And you know what? People have called the movement of Tyler Chatwood's pitches, quote, elite. So that's a good sign. Yeah, and, and knowing knowing my luck, because I made this take, and it's recorded out there on the interwebs for all you people to click on and, and remind me of, Garrett Cole's probably going to win the Cy Young this year. Yeah, well. You know, it, it happens. But I'm going to stand by it. I have faith in Tyler Chatwood. Um Moving on from my hot take that might come back to haunt me, um, the Brewers reportedly made an offer to the Marlins for Christian Yelich this week. I'm very intrigued by that. I believe Milwaukee definitely has the pieces to get it done, but would adding Christian Yelich really make the Brewers a contender? Alex, do you think that just Yelich, if that's their big move this winter, does that help them dethrone the Cubs atop the central? Well, it would be a good player to have on a team no matter what. I don't think there's any question about that. Christian Yelich is a very good and underrated player. But as for the Brewers, I've still yet to be convinced that they're around to stay in contention because you look at the Brewers last year, and a lot of their success came from 30-some-year-old journeymen having career years. Yeah, they had Orlando Arcia, a very young and talented player, but if you had told me Jesus Aguilar, Eric Thames, or Eric Stogard would have these ridiculously good, compared to their other career numbers, seasons, I would have said you were crazy. So I'm not going to say it does, and I'm not going to say it doesn't, because I'm not fully convinced that the Brewers, what they were last year, is what they really are. And if they kind of want to 
risk going away from the rebuild and trying to contend. I mean, it's a gutsy call. Sometimes you got to go with your gut. So it's kind of it's kind of hard for me to answer. But I think it's either way having Christian Yelich on your team for a number of controllable years is a very good thing for the Brewers to potentially have. Taylor, what do you I think? I agree with you. Yeah, I agree with you there in that aspect of it. And I agree with you. I feel like the Brewers went from, like, you know, deciding that they're going to do this rebuild to we had a really, like, you know, surprisingly good year last year. So now we're going to run with it and make some gutsy, you know, potential moves. Um, So I think it's interesting. I feel like every big free agent name or pretty much anybody, the Brewers seem to be like linked or tied to in some way now at this point. Yeah. I think it's the, yeah, if I feel like if, you know, the Brewers got Yelich, it'd be a a good move for them either way. Like you said, I mean, I, I don't really, I don't really know if just getting him still puts them in contention to be better than the Cubs, but I, I don't no. know, maybe a possible wild card first. I'm not really sure. No, I think now if you go and you're, you know, you're David Stearns up in Milwaukee and you pull the trigger and you bring in Christian Yelich and you manage to sign Jake Arietta or you Darvish, that's a contending team. But I'm sorry, Eric Thames isn't going to put up a 1,300 OPS in the first month of the season again. I'm not trusting Travis Shaw to be the middle-of-the-order power he was last year. I just there are too many players who overperformed in my mind that you know you can't count on that type of production. But like you said, adding Yelich it sure doesn't hurt anything. But I think it's going to come down to Milwaukee needs to add an impact arm to that rotation. And like I said, Arietta, Darvish. I don't know why, but Lance Lynn just seems like a Brewer already. Just I can picture that very easily. Yeah, I can see it too. So you know. But I, I think, honestly, I still think the Cubs are still the toast of the Central. Um, obviously, uh, they're, they're only other real competition with the Pirates rebuilding and the Reds still not there, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm actually hopping on the Redbirds rants, uh, the fan-sided Cardinals site. I am co-hosting that tomorrow with their editor. Um, so I'm sure that will be a great time had by all uh, with plenty of back and forth. Uh, their big move was obviously Marcelo Zuna. They've been tied to guys like Arietta. In my mind, they need another starter. They traded Randall Gritchick to clear their log jam this week. He had some thoughts about Mike Matheny in the clubhouse on his way out, kind of fired a shot back at the Redbirds. Um, Alex, any thoughts in general on, on Gritchick or whether the Cardinals are, are ready to you know, contend for a division crown? Well, I think that the Cardinals with them, it's not a question of them being good because I think they have a good, solid team, but on paper, and I just hope this doesn't come back to bite me, but I still don't think they're better than the Cubs because the way I see it as unbiasedly as I can, the Cardinals have good players. The Cubs have star players. And I'm sorry, I think a big weakness there is Mike Messini. I think he's dragging a lot of that team down. And I think the culture that he creates is just not very good. We've heard too many stories, including the Gritchick one the past few years. I just think the Cubs are overall a better team, even though the, the Cardinals are still a good team. They're, they're not a bad team. They're at least a 500 team. 
Taylor, what do you think? I don't think the Cardinals are that good, really. I think the I I I mean I don't know. I feel like last year, like we were saying, the Brewers, all their players just got really hot, like it uh, all in the same year. I feel like the Cubs almost just had like obviously could have been way better as we saw from 2016. But I feel like the Cubs kind of had like some misfortunes through the regular season last year, which put them at about the same level as like the Cardinals were at last year. So it made them look better in my eyes. I really don't think that the Cardinals are that big of competition for the Cubs. And I also think getting rid of Grichik was a, just a bad move because I, I, I don't know. I think I'm a little biased because I really like him and I've been following him since before he was in the major leagues. And I don't know. I feel like he's going to turn out to be just like an all-star player. Yeah. So Grichik, um, I think Cubs fans are a little, obviously you have a different perspective because you followed him before the majors, but Cubs fans in general might overvalue Grichik because outside of Bush stadium, he has hit more home runs at Wrigley field than any other ballpark in the majors. He was a bona fide guy was a monster against the Cubs, especially at Wrigley. Um, his quote, um, from a couple days ago, um, off Twitter. So sometimes in St. Louis, me and the other outfielders thought we would have to go get two hits or two hits and a walk to be in the lineup the next day. And that's not good for anybody. I get what he's saying. A lot of Cardinals fans are pretty furious about this because they don't like him in general, but they make a fair point, you know, two birds on a bat. One of the big Cardinals accounts down there um, tweeted out, you know, late at night, I'm officially done wasting my time tweeting about a guy with a career 248 average and 298 on base percentage. You know, numbers talk. And at that point, I get where Cardinals fans are coming from. I think they're set with their current outfield. But I, I will say I would have never thought if you told me two years ago that this offseason they would unload Grichik and Steven Piscotti, I would have called you crazy. Yeah, really. I mean, those guys were supposed to be, you know, the next generation. And it just, you know, it just hasn't worked. And that's fine. Um, I think that if the Cardinals miss the playoffs again this year, Mike Matheny's gone. I mean, it's got to be that simple. I agree. So moving on from semi-ragging on the Cardinals, I will uh, do that tomorrow night on the Redbirds Rant podcast. Um Austin Jackson to the Giants, another move this week outside or in the past week outside of the Pirates deals earlier this month. Um, You know, I actually like the deal for the Giants. It keeps them under the luxury tax, which has been their big thing all year. But um, we'll start with Taylor and then, you know, jump over to you, Alex. Are you guys buying the Giants offseason? Are they going to be back in the playoffs in 2018? I am, but I, I I think I'm just really biased because if I like certain players, then I'm all about it. And I love Andrew McCutcheon, and I'm, like, really just jealous that that the Giants have him because I, I just like him a lot. And I think it's also because I just really like him as a person, not just a player. So just seeing interviews with him through games, and I'm pretty sure they did one of those ESPN – not not a 30 for 30, but one of the – I'm not sure what those are called, the 60-minute ones that they do, East 60s or something like that. 
on him, which was awesome. And I just really like him a lot. So for that reason, I give the Giants an A in their off-season moves. Are you guys ready for my hot take of the night? Oh, bring it. Lay lay it on me. They're not going to win more than 83 games. I think that, look, to your point, Taylor, I love Andrew McCutcheon, too. A really great all-around player. Seems like a really good guy. I'm glad he got out of Pittsburgh. And I think he'll do good things for the Giants. But here is the thing. You look at Evan Longoria. I'm a huge fan of Evan Longoria, but you know what? He has been nothing more than an average baseball player the past five or some seasons. He hasn't been an all-star in a while. His his offensive numbers are they're not bad, but they're really nothing that, that really stand out. And I think you have Hunter Pence on the team who's old. I think you have Brandon Belt on the team who's he's solid, but I don't think he's a superstar. Uh We'll see. Madison Bumgarner is still one of the best. Johnny Cueto, he may bounce back. He may not. Jeff Samarja will be Jeff Samarja. It's not a terrible team, and I definitely think they'll be much better than last year, but I still don't think their bullpen is a lot of depth. And you know what? They play in a division where I think there are three teams clearly better than them right now. They're not better than the Dodgers. They're not better than the Rockies, firepower-wise. And you got to look at the Diamondbacks, too. Even though the Diamondbacks may take a little bit of a step back, I still think they got more power and youth than the Giants do. I just think the, the, the whole putting together a team of 30-sums that are some are past their prime, some way past their prime, still maybe in their prime like McCutcheon, I just don't think you find much success in that anymore. Yeah, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the Jim Hendry era where you would load up on these veterans who were all-stars three to four to five years ago, you might be good for one or two years, and then it's just going to be awful. That's all I can yeah. think about. I 100% agree. I think the Dodgers are going to slaughter San Francisco this year. But and the uh, Giants we, don't really have any prospects for the future at this point. No, they're all in. They have to win in the next year, maybe two, or they're in trouble. Um so we've only got about two minutes left. Um, Taylor, I know you've got some questions. If you want to shoot them my way, I will try and answer them quickly um, to get through as many as, as, All right. as I can. Well, here we go. Uh, Chris underscore Toper 721. He wants to know, when do you think Sammy Sosa will be welcomed back at Wrigley? After Tom Ricketts sells the Cubs or Sammy Sosa is no. I think it's, I think it's when Sammy Sosa just admits admits to like stop denying all the uh, PED rumors and everything like that and just comes clean. I think he'd be welcome back. Yeah, if he does, I don't see it happening though. Yeah, I I, I don't either. Um, next, this one's from JM Zolt. It's uh, if the Cubs end up signing Alex Cobb instead of Darvish. Or Arietta, could they win a World Series with that starting rotation? Absolutely. You right now you're throwing Kyle Hendricks, who might be the most underrated starter nationally. You're throwing Jose Quintana, one of the most consistent arms in the league, and you still got John Lester, Tyler Chatwood, as I've made very clear, I'm very high on, and Alex Cobb. One hundred percent. This team could definitely win a World Series with that starting rotation. 
Okay, and then Don underscore Dibizani. I'm not exactly sure how to say it. Um, thoughts on the Yellich trade, which we kind of already talked about, and the Brewers offer. Do you think they'll end up landing him, or are there better realistic landing spots uh, where the Marlins could get a better deal? Um, I like the Brewers' farm system a lot, so I could definitely see that deal working out. Um, but I think the Marlins are right to not back off their high asking price. Yelich, like Alex said earlier, is definitely a hot commodity with his control um, and his cost control as well. Um, but uh, we've only got a couple seconds left here. So thank you guys for sending Taylor questions. Uh, we will be back at it again next Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Central. Uh, in the meantime, you can catch this episode and all other episodes Uh, They are archived on Blog Talk Radio, and the links can also be found on our Twitter and Facebook pages. Just search Cubby's Crib. So thank you for spending some of your Wednesday night with us, and we will talk to you next week.